The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the certain, through the curtain, that this his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and not giving us up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And uh, it's good to be looking again at Hebrews. How did you go with that reading? There's a bit in there. You okay with that? Um, I love it when we go to the reading and we say, you know, we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10. And I like it when people pull their Bibles out to follow with us. So uh, that's great. You know, did I mention this the other day? I was in a group where someone was saying, you know, pull out your Bibles, but they didn't say pull out your Bibles. Do you know what they said? Yeah, they said, get your phones out and turn to Hebrews chapter whatever, you know. <laughs> I don't mind if you get your phone out, that's fine. But to, <laughs> to actually say that, I think, is a, a whole new level, isn't it? Okay, shall I pray before we start? Let's pray together. 
God, we want to thank you for your word. We really want to thank you for Hebrews today and this particular part of it. And we pray that as we look at it now, that your spirit would be at work, that you would give us clear minds, but especially that you would speak to and change our hearts. Help us to grow more and more to be the people that you call us to be in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So um, I want to start by getting us to think about shadows. Do you like shadows? As children, did you ever kind of like play with your shadow? Maybe not? Peter Pan. Are you familiar with Peter Pan? Is he the one whose shadow got a little bit independent and out of control at times? Do you remember? And, uh, you know, that was part of his story. But, of course, shadows don't do that, do they? Shadows are very much constrained uh, to reflect the real thing. They can't just go off on their own like that. So they're not the they, they they're constrained to reflect the real thing, though of course they're not the real thing. And if we look at a shadow, we can tell certain things about the real thing, can't we? But what we can tell is going to depend on a bunch of things, isn't it? Like how strong the the sunlight is, or the angle that it's coming from. It's going to depend on you know, whatever it is that the shadow is being projected onto, isn't it? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Let me show you an example. So go to the next slide. So there's a shadow. Can you see the shadow? So what can we tell about the real thing, which I've covered up there, from its shadow? What are some of the things we can tell? It's probably a person. Looks like a person. It's kind of the shape of a person, kind of, isn't it? probably a woman you're doing well too yeah good Uh, what else can we tell about the real thing from that shadow anything else sorry maybe yeah they're standing up yeah probably we can well we can tell a bit about the sun as well i guess yeah that it's kind of up above there we can tell a few things, can't we? Not, not a lot, okay? There, is, there are a lot of things we can't tell. We can't tell for sure if that's a person. We can't tell for sure, you know, a whole bunch of things. So um, a shadow, when we look at a shadow, we can tell some things about the real thing, but there's a bunch of things we can't tell. It helps us. Do you want to see what the real thing is here? Okay, ta-da. Uh, Eric is not very well today, uh, and I didn't even ask her if I could do this, so just don't tell her. No, she'll be fine. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, Shadows, there they are. Um, With shadows on our mind, let's turn now. It's not just irrelevant. We're going to turn now to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, if you've got it there, if you've got your phones there, uh, please look at Hebrews chapter 10. Now, remember that the book of Hebrews, this letter, was written to Jewish Christians who were trying to get their heads and their hearts around just who Jesus was and what it was he'd done for them, right? And so we get to chapter 10 and it says, the Old Testament law is like a shadow, right? That's the idea. So look at verse 1. Chapter 10, it says, law 
is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. So do you see what the author's saying here? He's saying that the Mosaic law, or the Old Testament law, with all its priesthood and covenant and tabernacle and sacrifices and all these things that we read about in the Old Testament, those things, they are but a shadow of the real thing. All those laws and all those rituals that, uh, uh, that are there in the Old Covenant with which you are intimately acquainted and to which you have been thoroughly committed if you've been a good Jew, all those things, he's saying to them, they're just a shadow. They're just a shadow. Now, this isn't the first time we've met kind of idea in Hebrews, right? It's, it's been there, there throughout the, the, the letter. But here it's really spelt out. The Old Testament law, it is not the real thing. But it is a shadow. Okay? You with me? So, um, we read on. You know, the law isn't enough, it says. So, verse 1 there, the second part. Uh, it's not, not the realities themselves. For this reason, right, the Old Testament law, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? The worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. The law isn't enough, right? The problem of our sin is t- it's too big. It's way too big. Look at verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In fact, in fact, look at verse 3, just to skip back to that one, which I missed. Those, those sacrifices, it says, are an annual reminder of sins. So, do you see, not only don't all those sacrifices and the rest take away the sins, they actually remind us about them. That's what they do. So, we might be reading this and we might well ask, if that's all true, do they serve any good purpose? Do they serve any good purpose? Well, they were God's laws, weren't they? You know, back in Old Testament times, He gave the Old Testament law to His people and He expected them to, to obey these laws, right? Laws, so we can we can safely assume that it was good; it was all good. But then we have this, right? And and it continues on, right? Verses five to seven. I'm not going to read it again now, but it's a quote from Psalm 40, which was originally a psalm of David, of King David. But here it's applied to the Messiah, to Jesus, basically to say that. God didn't want the sacrifices and offerings which the law prescribed. It's kind of summed up in verse 8, if we look at that one. It says, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. So what's, I mean, what's, how's that work? If he didn't want it, but it was part of the law, right? What is the point of all the Old Testament law if these things that we're reading here are true? Why does the author of Hebrews even spend so much time talking about things like the priesthood and covenant and the tabernacle and sacrifices and all the rest? Do you want to know the answer? 
what, what's good about it? Are you ready? The answer is that the Old Testament law, and this is one of the main things, this is what the author of Hebrews wants us to hear, the Old Testament law helps us to understand Jesus and why we need him. That's what it does. It helps us to understand Jesus and our desperate need for him. And that's what we're going to talk about the rest of, rest of the time this morning. right? Because we see that message presented to us again and again and again and again through Hebrews. right? So it, it, it is the author of Hebrews here encouraging us to see how the old relationship that God established with his people in Old Testament times, and if you're a Jew you know, with which you are intimately acquainted and to which you've been thoroughly committed, right? He's saying all these things, they teach us about Jesus and our need for him. Now, some of you, I know we won't all have been able to do this, but some of you will have read, you might have read chapters 7 to 9 in preparation for today. If you had a chance to do that in preparation for today, you might have noticed that pattern that the author is showing us how these Old Testament law and all the things that are part of it point towards Jesus. I'm going to review that now with you, right? So chapter 7. Chapter 7, I'm not going to, we're not going to read it all, but chapter 7 is all about how Jesus is a priest, right? Now you might remember a few weeks ago, Cassie helped us out by talking a little bit about what a priest is. And, um, you know, basically, what's a priest? A mediator between God and people, right? bridging that gap for us. So in this sense, Jesus, and this is what chapter 7 is all about, Jesus is just like those priests established under the Old Testament law. He's a mediator between God and people, but he is way, way better. And this is what chapter 7 is about. Right? In chapter 7, that's where he's compared to Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to go down that path and really unpack that for you today. That's another whole story. But it's basically a comparison that the author uses to sh- show us that Jesus is completely superior to all the Old Testament priests. Way, way better. See, unlike them, he's got no beginning and no end. Unlike them, he doesn't first have to offer sacrifices for his own sins before he can sacrifice for them. Why? Because he's perfect. Right? Unlike those Old Testament uh, uh, priests, he doesn't have to offer sacrifices day after day after day because he offered the one true sacrifice for sins when he offered himself once for all. Right? Unlike them, unlike the Old Testament priests, Jesus is holy and blameless and he is pure and he is exalted above the heavens. Do you see? When we look at the priests, this is what the author of Hebrews is saying, when we look at the priests in the Old Testament times, we can learn something about Jesus. But we also see how much better he is and how much we need him because the Old Testament priests just don't really cut it at the end of the day. That's the message. Right? The Old Testament priests are like a shadow of which Jesus is the reality. So much more. Okay, you with me? That's chapter 7. Chapter 8. Chapter 8 continues this idea of Jesus as high priest, just very briefly. But it also talks about the sanctuary or the tabernacle, which is where the priests did their thing, right? And, and, and to say... The earthly tabernacle is only a copy. It's just a shadow. 
of the real thing where Jesus serves in heaven. Right again, shadow of the reality. And then chapter 8, it goes on to talk about the covenant. What's the covenant? It's one of those words we talk about, you know. It's just the special relationship that God's established with his people. And he established it one way in Old Testament times and then in Jesus, it's a brand new way. And in chapter 8, it's talking about how the, the covenant or the special relationship that Jesus established between God and his people is so far superior to the old covenant that was based on the law. It's based on better promises. Instead of laws leading to death through disobedience, the law of Christ will be written on our hearts and it will lead to forgiveness and life. Right? So there you have it again, chapter 8. Again, you've got the Old Testament tabernacle, the Old Covenant and all the Old Testament laws. They are but a shadow of the reality that is found in Jesus. That's what they're saying, right? That's chapter 8. We go to chapter 9. And this is, there's more about tabernacle here and also sacrifice. It really digs into this idea of earthly tabernacle being just a copy of the heavenly reality. Right? And think about the tabernacle. You may not be super familiar, but it talks about it a bit in chapter 9. And you know, you've got, they had this holy place. And then they had, you went through into the most holy place. And this was kind of representing the very presence of God. And, and that most holy place, only the high priest could go. And, and, and even then, only once a year, they could go into the most holy place. And even then, they first had to sacrifice for their own sins, because, of course, they weren't perfect, before they then sacrificed for the sins of the people. What does this teach us? It teaches us about the awesome holiness of God, does it not? That he is a God to be, to be feared in many ways. A right kind of fear. And, and, and it teaches us about the inability, actually, of all the Old Testament gifts and sacrifices and priests and all the rest to really and truly open the way into the presence of God. That's what it teaches us. You know, in verse 9 of chapter 9, it says that this Old Testament tabernacle, it's like an illustration for the present time, it says. In chapter 10, it says that all those external regulations, they only applied until the the time of the new order, right? Verse 11, until Christ came and opened the way, actually opened the way into the most holy place by his own blood, right? A far better sacrifice once for all, once for all, so important, right? The only sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could make us truly clean, that could actually cleanse our conscience, it could really set us free. Right? The true, only sacrifice. Okay, so that's our little review of those three chapters. But you see what's happening here. Are you getting the picture? Right? The author of Hebrews was helping these Jewish believers see how all their precious God-given Old Testament law and all the things attached to that, how it all points them towards and helps them understand Jesus, right, the real thing and the wonder of what he's actually done for them. Okay. But you know what? It wasn't just for them, was it? It's for us too. 
right? It's for us too. So this shadow and this reality idea, can you see how that's helpful for us? So for example, those times when we're reading the Old Testament and it all seems a little bit strange and irrelevant or whatever, this shadow and reality idea can be very, very helpful. And you know what? It's really, really important for us to to read and seek to understand the Old Testament because there are so many things in there that are desperately important for us to to understand if we're going to understand Jesus and why we need him. Are you with me? So, for example, let's think of some of the things that the Old Testament really helps us understand. How about our sin problem? You know, if we don't understand, if we don't actually understand we've got a sin problem, then how can we understand our need for a saviour? Right? The, the Old Testament helps us understand our sin problem, does it not? What about, what about, you know, if this whole thing, if we don't understand that sin requires death, right, such is the justice of God, and that a restored relationship with God requires that sins are paid for with blood like this is all stuff that the old testament law teaches us if we didn't get that how would we understand christ's death how would that kind of make sense to us do you see where we are with this or or what about if we don't understand that our god is a god who is fundamentally committed to making a way for us to come back to him no matter what it takes, right? If we didn't understand that, and the Old Testament teaches us that through all these laws and things, why would we even look for that way or believe the possibility of what God has done for us in Jesus? Do you see? It just it provides this context. The Old Testament law, it tells us how the world works. It tells us that there's a God who actually demands to be treated like God. Fundamental things. It tells us that he's made a world where there is a moral order. Where there is right and wrong, where justice actually matters. It tells us that. But it tells us also that the ultimate law in his world is love. Is love. It tells us that right relationships are fundamental in God's world. Right relationships. It tells us these things. Just so fundamentally important. Most of all, it tells us about our need for Jesus, does it not? The one who will make everything right, who will actually satisfy the justice of God and at the same time open the way for us to have a right and restored relationship with God. Do you see? The Old Testament. You know, one fi- so we're getting near the end of this, this first idea. But one final thought before we move on, it just occurred to me as I was sitting down with this, I thought, if God's people in the past needed all that Old Testament context to really understand Jesus when he came, right, if that's what they needed, then don't you reckon there's a pretty good chance that people today need context if they're going to understand Jesus? Do you know what I'm saying there? Like sometimes, do you think sometimes... If we want someone to come to faith, and that is our heart, isn't it? If we want someone to come to faith, don't you think sometimes we, it's like we jump in 
and just want to tell them that they need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to be saved. But we say that without them necessarily having any concept of why they might need to be saved or what from or how that might work. Do you see what I'm saying? And there's so much good stuff there that we learn from our Old Testament about about um, the, way, the way the world works, about the goodness and the justice of God and about the human predicament, right? All things that can lead us to the beauty and the wonder of Jesus, do you see? And so important. Anyway, just a little encouragement for us there. Rightio, the law is only a shadow, but Jesus is the real thing. And this is what we've been talking about already today. But that's, that's the heart of the message here. The heart of the message in this part of Hebrews is that we actually do have the reality. We're not just stuck with a, with a shadow, right? Because we've got Jesus. So in contrast to all the sacrifices and all the offerings, Jesus said things like in, in verse 7 there where he says, Then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, my God. Verses 9 and 10, he said, then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first, that's all the sacrifices and so on. He sets it aside to establish the second, which is him. And by that will, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Right? We have the real thing. We have Jesus, the willing sacrifice, who through his sacrifice once for all can actually Make us holy. Wow. Wow. Actually, the picture here, Jesus isn't just this. He is, he's the sacrifice and he's the priest. He's both of those things here. Did you pick that up? Verses 11 and 12. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the hand of God. He is the great high priest in heaven interceding for us. Jesus. But he's not offering sacrifices again and again and again. When Jesus gave his life on a cross, it was done. It was done. Now this is really important. And we have that line there. Did you notice it? He sat down at the right hand of God. Did you catch that bit? Now what's that mean? He sat down. It's finished. That's what it means. Now, have you ever been hiking? Mm. I used to. <laughs> uh, actually, we've got some Tasmanians here today, and they've got, they're all about hiking down there, aren't they? So many years ago, I remember doing the Overland Track. And, uh, you know, if it's a hard walk, and you've been going for a while, and you're tired, and then you finally sit down, right? Have a little break. What happens next? It's so hard to get back up again, isn't it? <laughs> so when's the best time to sit down? When you've finished it. When it's over and you don't have to get back up again for a while at least. Right? You sat down at the right hand of God. What's the point here? The point here is that all those patterns that the Old Testament law testifies to they are fulfilled in Christ. 
Right? All those unanswered questions that sat there with the people of God all through the Old Testament history, they are answered in Jesus. Right? All of God's promises, they are kept in Jesus. It, it, it is done. It's finished. So verses 13 and 14, there it is. And since that time, he waits. He just waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Gee, there's a whole sermon in that last line, isn't there? No, we're not going there now. We don't have time. We can talk about it later if you want. But, the, but, the, but this is the point. I'm reminded here of Jesus on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 30. Do you remember what he said? It is finished. It's done. See, this is, this is the author of Hebrews is just desperate for his readers to get this. Right? Jesus is no shadow. He's the real thing. He's the real thing. And, be, and think of the difference between that shadow and the real thing in the picture I put up. That is how much more real he is and more. Because of his completed work on the cross, we don't need to earn God's approval. We don't need to appease his anger or work harder so that you know, he'll really forgive and love us. We don't need to because we are, in Jesus, we are forgiven. Thank God. And verses 17 and 18, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We are free. We are saved. We are washed clean. We are not perfect, but in Christ we are holy. We are holy in him. Right, we are. We sin and death have not prevailed in our lives. It has not been victorious because Jesus has. Jesus, the risen, seated Lord, is our Lord. Do you see? Praise God. Praise God. Okay. Last, last. The Old Testament law is like a shadow. Jesus is the real thing. How then should we live? So what are some of the implications of this? Well, in many ways, it's kind of obvious, but I really like bits of the Bible. Did you notice at the beginning of verse 19? What's the first word there? Therefore. You know to always look out for therefore, don't you? Because it means because of all this great stuff that we've just been thinking about, and hopefully we've got kind of in our heads and hearts now, because of all that, these things that we're about to see, this is what we're being encouraged to do about it. So just kind of a review, verses 19 to 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his blood, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, right? So since all of those things we've been talking about are true, right? because of all of that, since Jesus has opened the way into the most holy place, into the very presence of God through his death on the cross, right? Let us therefore do three really important things. Are you ready? Three things, and they all start with let us. Let us. Now, I know lettuce is expensive at the moment. Different kind of let us. Verse 22. Are you ready? Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart 
and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now this is powerful imagery, isn't it? But the point here is really clear. How often, let me ask you, how often do we allow our sins and guilt, how often do we allow those things to hold us back uh, from God? How often? We do this, don't we? But what this is telling us is because of Jesus and what he's done and the way that's opened up, we don't have to hold back. Right? We can open our hearts to him. Right? Because of Jesus, we can draw near to even the holy, kind of scary, creator God. How can we do that? Because of Jesus in full assurance that he just loves us and that he's done what it takes to satisfy his justice in Jesus. We can know forgiveness. We can know cleansing. We can know that we are welcome into the very presence of God. Right? Now, I mean, the Old Testament is so important here. Have you heard people talk about Jesus as our, oh, God as our mate? You know, he's my best buddy. I, I kind of struggle with that because when I read the Old Testament, I think a, a more accurate picture of God is as awesome king to be feared, a right fear. And yet, and yet such is the grace of God And this is where grace starts to really mean something. Such is the grace of God that even we, through Jesus, because of Jesus, we can approach him. We can approach that awesome God. The wonder of which we understand all the more because of the Old Testament, right? That's where Hebrews is helping us. Okay, that's, that's the first verse 22. Because of what Jesus has done, don't hold back approaching God. You come to him. He loves you and he wants you. That's the first thing. Second, let us is verse 23, isn't it? Verse 23, it says, Therefore, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. He is faithful. He has kept all, he has kept all his promises. Not half or a bit. He's kept all his even giving his own son so that that might be so right? would we not be foolish to let go of a hope such as this right? especially in our world today where we are so desperate for hope would we not yeah, and yet the reality is what we can be tempted can't we to kind of look elsewhere you know there's there are always these things that we're tempted to kind of you know, move aside from that pathway to Jesus, right? Um, that kind of attract our attention and we might think that we just want to give it a try. You know, let me ask, what temptation do you need to say no to today? That, you know, threatening to draw you away. Let us hold unswervingly to our hope in Jesus, the real thing. Okay, that's the second let us. And the third and final let us is in verses 24 and 25, where we read, And let us consider how 
we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. John, do you like that one? The Bible says what? Go, go to church. Yeah, don't miss church. Keep going. No, I mean, it does say that. But what's the real point here? What's it actually saying? It's saying we need each other, isn't it? It's saying we need each other. We need each other for the encouragement and for the accountability of the community of believers. Right? We need each other for the shared gifts, the different gifts, gifting and the, the opportunity to serve God together in our, all our diversity. We need each other. You know, we're not playing some nice little game called church. That's not what we're doing. The day is approaching. This is what it says, isn't it? The day is approaching and the implications are eternal. So we need each other to encourage each other along, uh, to spur each other on, to stay the course. So there it is, let us, let us allow the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross to actually transform who we are and how we live. Amen. Amen.